Welcome to another episode of Money You Should Ask. I'm your host, Bob Wheeler, and in this episode, we're going to explore a question, examine, converse, dig deep, expose, laugh, and cry about the money beliefs, money blocks, and life challenges of our next guest. Turn up the volume, listen, learn, and laugh. Last month, you got financially fit in February. Now get ready for March Money Mindset. To continue to cultivate your fresh start 2021 journey to financial freedom, each week during the month of March, we will be giving away free resources and tools to help get you to the next level. Let's get this party started. Week one, we will be giving away 10 copies of my book, The Money Nerve, Navigating the Emotions of Money. Each day, we will randomly select two winners. For your chance to win, visit themoneynerve.com forward slash fresh start 2021 or click the link below to enter. We'll be back next week for more giveaways in week two of March Money Mindset. Our next guest is Sandra Beck. I am so excited to have Sandra here. She is an author, coach, speaker, radio host, entrepreneur, and philanthropist. Philanthropist. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you know, it's those big words that if there are more than two syllables, they get me every time. Who is as successful is as she is busy. The single mother of two has created a virtual empire of successful companies entirely staffed, managed, and implemented by using a host of virtual assistants and online resources. Whether she's coaching a company owner to a million-dollar commission goal, training a stay-at-home mom to perform SEO on websites, or speaking to a group of women who are in recovery, her message is about empowerment. What is possible and how to create the circumstances of your choosing? Sandra teaches her clients how to maximize their lives by using the power of the internet coupled with the drive of their passions to create the lifestyle of their dreams. She is the president and author of Motherhood Incorporated, author of Blogphoria, and is a powerful voice in the social media arena as a popular internet brand strategist. She also hosts two radio shows, Military Mom Talk Radio and Motherhood Talk Radio. Sandra! We could. We have a book that has all of your uh, credentials. How are you doing? Every time I listen to that intro, I think, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, um, one of the, you know, you talk about how to, how to maximize and how to figure out how to create the circumstance of your choosing. Like a lot of people are like, no, 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 it happened to me, right? Something happened to me, but you're helping people say, wait a minute. Let's find the silver lining or, or how does that work? Absolutely. You know, I'll just give you a, a quick background of where I figured this out. Um, I had two little babies, a three month old and a two and a half year old in Southern California in Los Angeles. I had a big fat overhead financially. And one day my ex-husband got up, walked out and said, I'm done. I don't want to be married. I don't want to be part of this. And all of the financial responsibility, as well as the childcare, fell on me. And so I had a good week where I felt sorry for myself, you know, cried every day. And then I thought to myself, like, there is no other choice. And, you know, I guess I could have gone home, you know, to my parents in New York, you know, as a 40 something, not a good look. Um, <laughs> but I had to figure something out quickly. And, what I realized is when you, when something gets thrown at you in life, whatever it is, it could be cancer, it could be, you know, a car accident or um, a foreclosure, something like that, you have to move quickly from what I call A to B to C. So yeah. you, you look at the, the problem, 
And you have to move immediately to the solution and then immediately to action plans. What you can't do is stay stuck and go what I call the, oh, why me? Why did this happen? Why did he leave me? Why, why, why? You know what, Bob, who cares about why? I have mouths to feed. I've got a mortgage to pay. So why was kind of shoved to every Thursday at 5 p.m. where I would meet with my therapist? And so I would just put all those whys, all those feelings and everything in a box and unpack it Thursdays at five, pack it back up Thursdays at six when my session was over. And I got immediately to the problem solving and then action plans. And I just want to share with you one really great funny story for anybody who has little kids. I was up with one of my kids at night with an earache and we were watching, you know, TV in the middle of the night, cartoon characters, this Lego movie comes on and Ninjago and this little Lego figurine comes out and he bows to the TV screen and he says, what can you do today to get you to where you want to be? And I was in my bed with my kids going, oh my God, oh my God, message for me, message for me. You know, I got up, I wrote it down on a post-it, which I still have up on my wall today. And I just focused on what I could do today. I didn't think about the future. I didn't think about college. I didn't think about diapers. I didn't think about what I had to pay at the end of the week. I focused on only what I could do today. And that was moving from A to B to C. Yeah, that's awesome. And do you think... I'm going to take my glasses off. Do you think that um, if you hadn't had two small kids, you wouldn't have had as much of an immediacy to uh, act? Oh, absolutely. Those were like two little guns to my head. You know, they were a a no fail, no excuses. You better get to work. If it was just me, Bob, I'd probably still be drinking on the beach. Like just (laughs) hanging out going, oh, you know, my marriage is over, you know, 10, 12 years later, you know, you hear people do that. They're like, oh, you know, I was in the Grand Canyon shortly after my marriage ended and I took a walk with my two kids in a double stroller and I decided to walk the Grand Canyon rim just because I thought it would give me perspective of like, what's, what's really big here. And I, I pulled the, the cart over, you know, the stroller over and I was sitting on this bench and this bus of divorcees poured out and two ladies sat on the bench next to me and they're like, that son of a gun, I can't believe. And she's like, oh, he cheated on me, blah, blah, blah. So of course I'm a big eavesdropper, you know, and I leaned (laughs) over and said, can I ask you how long you've been divorced? Well, one of them had been divorced 15 years, Bob. Wow. And I vowed myself at the Grand Canyon, sitting on the edge, not jumping in, just enjoying the view of, I'm not going to be that person. I'm not going to be 15 years later. Now, 15 years later, I'm talking about divorce, but but in a positive, uplifting, how to move on way. But I promised myself at that point, I would not be that person. Yeah. And I, you know, one of the things that you said at the beginning, I think is so important for people to hear is you didn't worry about the whys. And I think a lot of times we go to therapy and spend years trying to figure out that thing that happened when we were six. It's good to know about the thing that happened at six, but we also need to live in the present. What, how am I living today? Um, and what can I do in my current relationships? And how can I have a current relationship with my money instead of, oh, I'm locked in my past? Right. And why changes? As you get more information, as you go through life, you know, whys change. So when I look at and I go back, oh, well, why did my ex-husband leave me? 
you know, and I could do all these things. Wasn't a good wife, you know, two kids, spent too much. You could you could have all these jumbled of things. And believe me, I had a laundry list of them. Yeah. But then years later, I found out that he had known this person, you know, prior and they got back together. So that kind of nullified all my whys. So, you know, new information comes right. in and it's like, Oh, well, if this person, you know, was his friend and they were building this whole relationship, you know, what chance did I have? So all of those whys that I figured out were just blown out of the water. And that's why I think whys are only valid to either make you feel better, mitigate your responsibility, or to kind of give you some peace of mind to move on. But the fact of the matter is, wise change when more new information comes in, you get these ahas. And it's like, now you've spent like five years on all these ahas that may or may not be true. They're just stories we tell ourselves, unless you ask the person and they will be truthful to you, you're never going to know the why. Yeah, no, absolutely. And when you, um, so did you, you had your parents. um, that could have jumped in. Do you have a big family? Do you have siblings? Were you an only child? No, no, I have a big family, which, you know, comes with its pros and cons. And yes, my, <laughs> For sure. My, yeah, because everybody had an idea. And, you know, I'm the youngest girl in the family. And so, like, one of my brothers flew out, you know, like, oh, my God, we need to save Sam. You know, and I appreciate all these things. But I was a grown-ass woman. I was 40 years old. You know, I wasn't, like, you know... 16 alone and pregnant and right. I also have a master's degree so right. you know but but you know when you're the younger in a big family you're always going to be the child um that's yeah you know but I did have a lot of help with my family over the years and you know it it was a very simple thing where I had to humble myself and learn to ask for help and so one of the things that I did was like when the new school year would come up, I would say to my brothers and sisters, okay, when they would say, is there anything you need? I would say, yes, Zach and Max need sneakers. They need gym clothes. They need these things. I was very specific in telling people how to help me and what I needed. And that was a very humbling for me, Bob. I was used to paying my own way in the world. And yeah. when my dad came in, you know, my one son is like Dracula mouth. So his... His teeth were 7,000 to get braces and everything fixed. And my dad came in and he said, you know, I will help with that. And he paid half. And so, you know, I wasn't, you know, hand out Jane, but I was also, you know, being reasonable with myself going, okay, this is what I can provide. These things I can't provide if my family can help me. And, you know, it was kind of spread out through a bunch of different brothers and sisters and my dad. And then one of the things I did too, Bob, was my mom got diagnosed with cancer and breast cancer, and she ultimately died after a five-year battle. And they were big helps to me during that time with childcare where they could and you know when my mom was well enough. But then after my mom passed away, I made the decision, despite everybody telling me this was a disastrous idea, to move my 80-year-old dad into the house. So not only am I a single mom, (laughs) two kids, three dogs, one old man, you know, I called it like the five, four, three, two, one factor Um, and uh, five bills I couldn't pay four dogs, you know, you can do the math, but the long and short of it is that he helped me with some of the childcare and in return, I cooked and cleaned for him. And now he's, 
87 and my kids are in their teens. So we've been on this like eight to 80 merry ride for about 10 years. And, you know, it's been interesting and it's been fascinating to have somebody who was raised in the depression era. Yeah. Live in the house with my two lovable spoiled kids. I mean, right. It's truly amazing what 80 years difference can do in especially financial sensibilities. Yeah, absolutely. And what did your dad teach you about money? And does he talk to your kids about money? Like, how does that go generationally? Absolutely. Well, I can tell you, you know, a good example of the, with, with the pandemic last year, when the pandemic was in China and we were getting reports on the news of what was happening and what was coming here. Now, this means no disrespect, but we started calling my grand, my dad Bunker Bob because okay. he was like, Stan, you have to take me to Sam's Club. There's going to be, uh, you know, this is going to be terrible. And, you know, Bob, I weighed the decision of going, okay, do I stock up on canned goods and sodas and paper products and all these things to alleviate my dad's anxiety when I really didn't believe it would be a big deal? So that was a big discussion. Finally, I thought to myself, you know what? I have the room in the garage. We'll use this stuff anyway. What does it hurt? We go to, you know, Sam's Club and Costco and dump $750. It's like the most (laughs) I've ever spent. Because my dad's like, you're going to need toilet paper. You're going to need paper towels. We're going to get, you know, cleaning things. And, you know, because he had lived through World War II. Yeah. So he saw things and he, he kept telling me, it feels the same. It feels the same. And in my head, I'm like, okay, Bunker Bob, you know, right. we'll just, exactly. You know, but we did, we stocked up everything. And he even had a stock up like cans of like, you know, Tylenol and Advil and, and, you know, things he's like, you know, what if somebody gets sick, you know, and we can't get out and, you know, but I did. And, you know, my dad was not at all having an issue with spending that much money to prepare. Now, if we wanted to go out and get a hamburger and it was $30, oh my God, I can't believe it's $30. Right. But in this prep thing, you know, the kind of the prepper mentality, um, he was all for stocking up. And we did, Bob. I could have housed like 15 families for all the things that we bought. <laughs> you took and all the toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> it was all in my garage. Uh-oh, we're coming. We're coming. <laughs> yeah, but this was, this was like literally a yeah. month or two before. And I actually had to, I took some old bookcases out of the garage and retrofitted them so that I had a little pantry. And I, every time I'd walk out there, I'm like, this is the dumbest thing. Like, this is ridiculous, but it makes my dad happy. So what? But then boom, you know, lockdown, all of a sudden, you know, we're sitting pretty and my dad was the hero. So, you know, it was a very interesting ride to go from someone who's so frugal. You know, we have, I can't tell you how many glass jars we have in our house. You know, we don't throw anything out. We reuse, we reduce, we recycle, you know, so to go and spend $750 on all this stuff was amazing to me, but I'm glad I did. Yeah. That's awesome. And do you talk with your children about money or like, did you talk to them about the stocking up? Do you have conversations with them? I have had conversations with my kids about money since they were old enough to something. And we did, we did these things called mommy bucks. And, you know, I'm a computer person, so I printed out my own money with me on it. And oh, there you know, go. it was a lot of fun. And, you know, it had my face on it. And, you know, my one kid was on the $5 bill and the older one was on the $10 bill, which I, no parent should do that. 
because then the ten dollars worth of the five dollar, and then the kids fight. You know, they they should just Who has more know. value. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You like him better. You made him the ten dollar bill. Um, but we had this kind of fake money thing going on when they were little, and they could earn money by. And I had a little chart where if they brushed their teeth, if they made their bed, if they put their clothes in the hamper, you know, all the, the things I wanted to teach them, they would earn like, you know, a mommy buck and a mommy buck. It wasn't dollar for dollar, but they would say, well, I want to go get a hamburger. Can we get a happy meal or something like that? I would say, okay, that's 10 mommy bucks. And they would have to go and get their 10 mommy bucks. And it was a great single mom tool because it kept them from asking for too much. Yeah, and I didn't have to have that like awful conversation. Like, no, we 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 can't afford these things. You know, as a parent, that's really hard. Yeah, but if you set the standard for your kids really little, going okay, everything's an exchange. You know, you do these things, I do this thing. If you if you're treating me poorly, I'm not going to you know I'm not going to treat you poorly, but I'm going to withhold certain things. And the other thing I did that I thought worked particularly well, and my kids are 14 and 17 now, and I've been a single mom for 16 years, so I think I'm doing you know some things right. Is that their cell phone was contingent upon their GPA? Okay. If you kept an A average. Now, one of my kids had a hard time in geometry, and I have a little caveat that, you know, you have to put the benchmark where your kids can matriculate. I knew my kids could get A's, but one of them got a B in geometry, and I said, well, why did you get a B? And he's like, mom, I have a really hard time with it. So that was, you know, I was given kind of a grace period for that if you did your best. But if you're not getting your homework done, if you're not getting things in, boom, that cell phone's gone because... You know, who gets a $750 cell phone in sixth grade? Kids do today. Right. They do. They do. And I, you know, one of the things that I'm, I want to, I'm going to ask this for the listeners because sure. if there are single moms out there or single parents or even two house, you know, two parent households, sure. um, that's a lot of time to educate your children. That's a lot of time to set up yeah. the structure. Um, like it's just easier to feed them some food and turn on the TV. No, it isn't. It might be short term. That's short term thinking. Yeah. You know, when I had my chore list, there were a lot of my friends who came over and they jokingly called me the mean mom. They're right. like, what do you mean your four year old has laundry? You know what? But they can sort socks. They can, you know, if they can drop it on the floor, they can drop it in a bin. Like, you know, <laughs> it's not being mean. It's it's about being, you know, my older one is, is going to Berkeley. So, you know, something happened the right way with the structure. Yeah. And I did lean a lot on the Marine Corps, which was my background in training. My dad was Navy. So we always had chores and I wasn't raised with a lot of money. So we always had chores. We always had things to do. But when you give your children structure, you yeah. also give them the tools to create self-reliance and confidence. And yeah. you can't make a confident kid. You know, we all talk about like trophies for ninth place. Like, you know how there's that yeah. wave of everybody who shows up gets a trophy. Yeah, no. That's California. <laughs> yes, that's right. Exactly. Here's your ribbon for ninth grade, you know, or ninth place. Good job, yeah. kid. Like, no, you know, yeah. 
trophies for the first three. Maybe you want to give two more ribbons. But you know what? If you suck, if you didn't show up and you didn't go to practice, you should not get a trophy. <laughs> and, you know, these things did not endear me to my local community sometimes, Bob. <laughs> but the fact is, if you want to grow a confident kid who's yeah. confident about choices, you've got to let them make choices. And there has to be consequences to those choices. That also applies to money. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned the the military background. Uh, you do a lot of work for the military. I do. And, I do. Yeah, and you work to empower women. Can you say a little bit more about that? I mean, obviously, you're a woman uh, and you want to empower, and you've been a single mom. But is there something like that you're passionate about, or what was the, you know, what was the impetus to say this is where I want to serve? Um, well, it, it started out because I couldn't pass the medical requirement for the military because of my vision. So that to me was was kind of a, ah, oh, that stinks, because that was one of my plans. And I had gone to college on a, on a scholarship to Northwestern. And uh, what happened was when I couldn't serve in the capacity that I wanted, one of the XOs at the university said to me, you know, Sam, you're well-spoken, you're nice-looking, you're athletic. Maybe you'd like to run our fun runs. Maybe you'd like to help, you know, in, in this capacity. And then they ended up sending me to a protocol school. I got to do a lot of neat things and work with the military running their toys for tots and doing things outside of the community, but help the military community at large. And in my work there, I realized, especially now, women comprise 20% of our military forces. And wow. many women go into the military because they have their single mom. They right. get an education. They get, you know, their three squares. They get money to send back home to their sisters or parents who are raising their children, you know, while they're serving. And what I realized was that these women were a lot like me, only I was gifted the power of this world-class education. Yeah. So that really struck me that something needed to be done. And with the first Gulf War and people coming back, um, friends of mine's husbands who were struggling, they, you know, were hitting their wives. They choked one of my friends in her sleep, you know, nothing uh, on purpose, but right. these things happened. And when they went to get help, to be fair, my friends weren't big readers. They didn't go to school. Right. So I formed Military Mom Talk Radio so that we could give medical, social, financial, um, psychological information to people who weren't readers. Because if they went to get help, it was a pamphlet. It was read this article. Here's a printout. That's not going to work. So when I realized that the internet was becoming faster, digital was becoming cheaper, a podcast 16 years ago, people didn't even know what that was. They thought I was right. like sitting in my dad's basement in my underwear. Right. <laughs> And for many, it is. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. Um, and do you think um, with the with the military women, um, mm -hmm. like there's a lot of obstacles there. Maybe they're coming in as a single mom. But sure. what are the obstacles that you see that are more challenging for women, um, maybe more so than for men? Because I'm sure that gender uh, – you know, plays a role in finances sure. and all those things. Just, it, just a hunch. 
Sure, absolutely. I mean, I mean, gender does play a role, especially, you know, I look at my own experience and it's reflected through a lot of the conversations I've had with our military women. You know, we were always taught that money was the man's job. You know, it was impolite for women to talk about money. And so I always had this kind of aversion to money and I would push it away. You know, people would say, oh, Sam, you took care of my kids. Let me give you 20 bucks for gas. Let me give you some money for food, you know, since you watched my kid for the afternoon. And the polite person in me would say, oh, no, that's okay. Meanwhile, you know, I can't pay my electric bill. Right. And then, you know, I kind of had to come to Jesus with myself going, why are you pushing money away? Yeah. You know, because it was considered impolite to accept right. money. And I'm like, well, but wait a minute, I'm burning a tank of gas, driving 10 kids to and from soccer because their moms work and I'm working from home. So why wouldn't I get compensated? And, yeah. you know, if you don't have those conversations with yourself and kind of reframe your thinking about your relationship with money, uh, you're going to get in trouble fast. Yeah. And do you think that's um, that's more of a socialization to be like, oh, let me be the nice person? Sure. Do you, I mean, um, I know in the Midwest, that's pretty, uh, you know, you want to be polite. I grew up in the yep. South. You want to be polite instead of realistic. <laughs> right, right. It's considered rude. And I can right. tell you, when I had my aha moment of like, I need to accept this money was I had a, I had a minivan and I could pick up a lot of kids from school and transport them to the after school program. So a couple of my friends said, Hey, would you mind picking up my kids? Whatever. I'll give you $10 a week. Oh, this is great. Blah, blah, blah. So I go to pick up this group of kids, including my own, and I'm going to transport them from the school to the aftercare program. And I realized when I pull into the school, my car is on zero, not just zero, zero miles to empty zero. And I'm like, crap, the place is nine miles away. The closest, you know, a gas station is one mile away, but I had no credit card. I had no cash. Like you're talking stone cold broke. Broke. You know, paid my insurance on the car, but, you know, we're eating oatmeal, eggs, and bananas. Yeah. So I'm driving like two miles an hour. (laughs) <laughs> and I roll into the gas station on fumes and I'm like, kids, look everywhere. And so we came up with like $4 worth of change because they're like, I found a quarter, you know, between <laughs> the seats. And we did. And we got enough gas. And then as I'm pumping the $4 worth of gas, one of the little boys goes, hey, Miss Sandra, here's $13. He hands me like $13. And he's like, yeah, my mom gave me $20 for lunch today. And here's the rest of it. So I took the $13, you know, and I I put it in my tank. And when I drove the kids, dropped them off, I had to pick up the same group of kids and then bring them to their homes after. I said to the kid's mom, I'm like, you know, I'm so grateful. You know, your son had some extra lunch money. I was just, and I was honest. I said, I'm completely broke. I didn't have money for gas. She opens up her wallet, Bob, hands Mm. me $200 bills. And she goes, oh, I'm so sorry. She goes, I should have been paying you for all your helping. And I'm like, she's whipped out 200 spots. And I realized like, here I'm so weird about accepting a little bit of money. That was nothing to her. It was was more important for her kid to be safe. And so I really went home and thought about how was I thinking about money? Because my, my desire to not be rude, to be polite, to be nice, to be liked was putting me in the poorhouse. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's such a fear about being honest about where we are financially sometimes because yeah. um, we want to present well because most people 
um, there's a lot of people out there presenting like, look, I've got it together. And, you know, (laughs) internally they're like, oh my God, (laughs) I hope the, I hope the check clears. I hope the credit card goes through and there's so much shame and, and we keep it to ourselves because we think we're the only ones. Well, and I started talking about it on the air because it was very freeing. You know, yeah. I didn't have a back window for like six months. And it was great. You know, California's in a drought. Oh, well, you know, <laughs> I didn't have any snow or rain, yeah. um, you know, and I had broken the window on my garage trying to get to soccer on time, backed out, hit the back hatch window on my van, shattered it all over. We cleaned it all up, but I drove it without a a back window for a long time. And when I would pick up that same group of kids, if they dropped a French fry on the floor, you know, we'd stop at McDonald's on the way through to the daycare place. I'd tell them, throw it out the back window. You know? <laughs> Even now, my, you know, my kids are 17 years old, that group. And they're like, we remember Miss Beck's minivan throwing French fries out the back window. But at some point you have to own it. You have to own where you are. And when you do, and when you talk about it, you know, about being broke, going through a foreclosure, you know, driving around without a back window. When I say these things and people laugh and then they tell me their broke stories. And then I realized, unless you were raised with a rich family that bailed you out at every turn, more often than not, most everybody's had some point in their life where they're like, crap, do I eat or do I, you know, pay this? Yeah, it's I think, yes, most of us have been there and it's not something we run around going, look at my debt. Right. <laughs> look at my failure. You're right. oh my gosh, you'll never believe how much I claimed in bankruptcy. Right. It's like we right. just um, we want to sort of push it under the rug and and say, look, it's been really good. And it's well, not. Yeah. I had a friend who, who you know, she had this beautiful BMW. Her husband has this great, one of those big dually pickup trucks. They have this beautiful house. And, you know, when I was at my lowest point, I was, I said to her, I'm like, I am such a failure. I can't even keep a roof over my health. She says to me, she goes, oh my God, we've had two bankruptcies. <laughs> I'm like, what? You know, right. what? How, yeah. how, you know, and that's the thing is you don't know because people do present well. And I'm like, they wait do. a minute, you've had two bankruptcies. I haven't even had a foreclosure or a bankruptcy and I'm crying about how broke I am. Right, right. It's We only get snapshots of everybody else's life. Yeah. We don't get the whole album. Right. Um, and we don't share our whole album. Um, no, right? I started to on the radio yeah. just because I found it to be very freeing. It and is. then it also takes the sting out of it. Like yeah. when I look at like how bad I felt with no back window and now I tell the French fry story and everybody laughs like, right. you know, and it's over. These things pass. They don't they last pass. forever. They're temporary. Sometimes yeah. it feels forever, but it's temporary. You also are passionate about uh, being a philanthropist. See, I said it yeah. right this time. <laughs> um, why is that important? Because it's the one thing that I feel that people can't take away from you. You know, I went through a really ugly, high-conflict divorce with someone who had a lot of money on his family, could throw it at me anytime, dragged me through the courts for six years with lots of false accusations. I had to continually defend myself and ultimately coughed up the kids and gave them to me full-time anyway. But that whole period made me... You know, I know people like Eleanor Roosevelt, I think, said nobody can make you feel bad about yourself except you. I'm yeah. like, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't you met know. my friends. <laughs> right, right. You meet my ex-husband and, you know, you meet them. Um, you know, but but 
you know, you're only human. And when stuff happens, you know, you're human and you're going to feel bad. And the things that I held on to during that time, um, and I did go through a foreclosure and um, I felt really bad about a lot of things, but what I'd never never could take away from me was all the good that I did in the community for Toys for Tots, for the Pajama Program, for World of Children, for Children Uniting Nations. And I'll tell you a funny story, Bob. I was pulled in during that time. I was pulled into court with um, my ex's girlfriend at the time claiming I handed a bag of laundry at her in a way that was threatening. You know, I'm going to kill yeah. her with a pair of socks. Socks are but, scary. <laughs> yes, socks are scary. Um, um, you know, but the long and short of it was when I went to go to court to defend myself for this restraining order, which was, you know, just junk. It was intended to humiliate me. I had over a hundred letters sent to the court and there was a bunch of them in Spanish and I have them. I have copies of them that were defending me and they were saying things like, you know, Miss Sandra bought me soccer equipment when I didn't have any. You know, we got a backpack from Miss Beck, you know, groups of kids and um, the same group showed up at one of my Toys for Tots events in the, the, um, that same year, the 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 person that was helping me run the front door, she's like, oh my gosh, Miss Sanders, she goes, there's a group of gang members here. They're in their low rider, you know, they pull up and, you know, everybody was kind of like, mm-hmm. and then they get out, you know, in the tattoos everywhere. And they're like, hey, Miss Sandra, we got toys for you. And they did. They brought a bunch of toys because they received toys through me and my programs. And so... When I look at the work that I've done, particularly with children, disadvantaged children, children in need, homeless and foster care kids, that you can never lose. That will never, like when I look at how bad my divorce was and all those things that I went through and, you know, the domestic violence classes I had to go to and learn about things, the one thing you couldn't take away from me, Bob, I will take those letters to my grave. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, I made a difference. Yeah. So when you ask me, why do you do philanthropy? Yeah, it's a tax deduction. Yeah, you feel good. But you will always feel good. You'll never feel bad about buying pajamas for the pajama program or dropping some toys into Toys for Tots. Yep. You get to make a difference to a kid you'll never meet. That you can never lose. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important to say to the listeners here, you can be a philanthropist by giving five bucks or by giving your time. You don't have to set up the Rockefeller Foundation. Uh, you can actually, it's a mindset and I think it's paying it forward. Um, and, and for me, it's, you know, about gratitude, uh, of being able to say, Hey, I'm in this position. Maybe I don't have much, but I can offer this. Right. And, you know, you prime the pump for prosperity, you know, prosperity is a wheel and, when I did a lot of the things that I was doing, um, miraculous things would happen to me. One of the families that I helped, I sponsored a family at Christmas. I didn't even think about it. Six years later, the guy comes and he's like, hey, I've got a bunch of artificial grass that's left over from a job. I'm going to junk it. I want to put it out in your backyard because my backyard was all dirt. You know, I, yeah. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't keep up with everything. He comes in and he puts this down for me. Wow. And he's like, I'll never forget, you know, when I was incarcerated, you yeah. brought Christmas to my kids, you yeah. know. So these things, you know, you you look back at your life and go, these things were terrible, but 
the silver lining stuff is phenomenal. And that's the thing you hold on to no matter how low you feel. You go, okay, 55,000 kids received toys from me in my lifetime. No one can take that away from me. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, I love that. I love that. Well, we are getting to fast five. So I have to, I'm going to change track real quick here. And uh, these are just top of the mind, uh, whatever comes. Um, What motivates you to work so hard? Uh, Kids, whoever they are. They don't have to be mine. Anybody else, the more money I make, the more people I can help. Awesome. What, What would you sing at karaoke night? The Canadian National Anthem in French. That's my crowd pleasing. <laughs> All right. I don't even. Yeah, I don't even think I could do it with the words. <laughs> if you could only eat one meal for the rest of your life, the same thing, what would it be? Oh my God, pizza with pepperoni pizza with mushroom and onion. <laughs> what was your last impulse buy? Oh, this I'm holding it. A mermaid <laughs> coffee cup because everyone should have a little fun in their life. <laughs> Absolutely. Would you rather win the lottery or work at the perfect job? Win the lottery. (laughs) (laughs) I can make that money into more money. Like, hello. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we're at our M&M moment, our sweet spot, money and motivation. Can you give us, uh, can you give the listeners a practical financial tip or a piece of wealth wisdom? Something that, you know, you've, had all these different things going on in your life. And here you are. Absolutely. When you look at spending something, put it in the bank because when you have money in the bank, you have the power to say no. When I was broke, I had to take a bunch of really crappy jobs, work for a bunch of obnoxious people with an MBA, typing letters for a guy that treated me just like the biggest jerk in the world. And when you have money in the bank, it gives you the power to say no. You can say no to something and enjoy your kids. You can say yes to other things. So money in the bank gives you the power to say no. Yeah. And how do you... Um, just to, to piggyback on that, when things are tough and you're looking at buying something that maybe you, you would like, but it's not absolutely necessary, how do you tell yourself, you know what, not today, I'm going to save that for later. I'm going to keep the money in the bank. I just think of that guy that treated me so badly and go, is anything worse going back to work for a jerk? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that kind of kills it right in the spot. Yeah. Well, like money in the bank. If I wanted another kid, I would just go to Walmart on a Saturday morning, watch everybody <laughs> scream and cry. <laughs> then I come home and go, okay, I'm, I'm satisfied. With I'm two. good. Two is good. Two is good. <laughs> two, two is good. Uh, well, that's great. You know, I mean, one of the things that I really like what you're saying and talking about is this uh, taking yourself out of victimhood. Yeah. Um, like we all have circumstances that are beyond our control. Yep. Um, and And so it may not be our fault personally. But we can choose to say, I'm going to get up, I'm going to move forward, I'm going to push through this um, in spite of everything, and I'm going to figure out what can I do today to keep moving me forward um, And instead of, oh, I'm going to stay in my story. Um, and obviously, kids are a motivator there for you, not just yours, but <laughs> but kids, um, but also this uh, this thing about empowerment and then paying that forward, helping other people, seeing that other people are struggling instead of saying, oh, not my problem. And one of the things that you talked about earlier that I think is so important, and I always like to reaffirm this, is community is so important. Yeah. 
We need our community. And I think uh, I say this a lot, but in the U.S., especially, um, we have have so much money that we can isolate and disconnect from people and not actually deal with being in community with other people. Sure. I mean, it's easy. And I did for a while. And when you find yourself isolating, you just go down this rabbit hole and it's really hard to get out. When you go and you commune with people, whether it's at your church, whether it's at a soccer game, you just walk around, say hello to everybody, start listening to your stories that you're saying, but listen to the stories of other people and you'll realize, you know what? Everybody's got something. Everybody's got something. Where can people find you online? Oh, they can go to Beck Multimedia or they can just Google Sandra Beck. They can listen to Military Mom Talk Radio or Motherhood Talk Radio. Any of those, you can go to toginet.com. All right. And you've, you know what? You need to be, I'm, I'm going to be looking forward to like your next 10 books. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, we'll, we'll look forward to that. Um, well, I want to say to our listeners, please don't forget to share the love. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Search for Money You Should Ask, all one word. You can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast player. Visit podchaser.com and search for Money You Should Ask or click on the link below. If you prefer to watch our episodes, head over to YouTube and subscribe to our channel. (laughs) For more tips, tools, or to learn more about your money nerve, visit themoneynerve.com. Sandra, it's been so much fun. I really enjoyed it. I thank you for coming on today. Thank you. I had a good time. 